Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, we are closing out what turned into an eight-week series. This was so cool. Eight-week series covering the artists behind the indelible hits of the 80s. And of course, we had to close it out with maybe the most ubiquitous song of all, Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves. So this week's guest is the man who wrote this song, guitarist for Katrina and the Waves, Kimberly Rue. Now, Kimberly's uh, musical history goes back a long ways. In the late 70s, early 80s, he was the guitarist for the Soft Boys. Now, the Soft Boys never really hit it big, but to this day, they remain one of the most highly respected cult post-punk power pop bands of all time. Of course, they were fronted by Robin Hitchcock, who went on to have his own highly successful solo career. But Kimberly never wrote any of those songs. So Katrina and the Waves was really a chance for Kimberly to sort of venture off on his own and uh, display his talent. And they went big. They had three top 40 hits. Of course, this one reached number nine in 1985. This was the biggest one of all. About a year and a half ago, BMG purchased the rights to Katrina and the Waves music for 10 million pounds. And prior to that, this song alone was generating a million pounds a year in licensing revenue. Could you imagine being the person that writes that song? That's incredible. One thing I want to stress here is that Katrina and the Waves are an awesome power pop band. So much more to discover and enjoy than just this song. There's a ton more. In fact, there was an earlier version of this song that came out in the early 80s that sounds pretty different. But when they signed to their first major label deal in with Capitol Records, Capitol Records re-recorded it and added the horns, made it peppier. That's what made it the song it became and still is to this day. I have to say this was a listener request. Listener Dion Liggett asked me a long time ago, actually, to get Katrina on the Waves on the show. And finally, after about a year of dealing with Kimberly's wife, Lee, thank you, Lee, we managed to make it happen. So Kimberly called me from his home in Cambridge, England, which is Yan the Man and I's old stomping grounds. Do you live in Cambridge? Oh, I do, yes. I I briefly lived in Cambridge in 1991. I was only 18, and I didn't drive, and so I don't remember all the streets, but we lived on Fullborn Old Drift. Do you happen to know where... You do? <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, I know. I, I know where it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we lived on Fullborn Old Drift. I went to Netherhall Sixth Form College briefly, oh. just briefly. Yeah, we were there maybe like nine months and then uh, okay. moved back to the States. So, yeah, anyway, I thought that was interesting that you still live there. Um, yes. Good. Cool. So I got to tell you how I became a Kimberly Rue fan. I probably should not admit this. I've never quite warmed up to Robin Hitchcock's music, unfortunately. I always find him really interesting. So I love to hear him being interviewed, but something about his voice or the kind of quirkiness of the pop, I've never quite warmed up to it. And so because of that, I never gave the soft boys much of a chance. In 2002, I believe it was, when your reunion album next door land came out i was working for the, at the time for tower records in their corporate offices in sacramento 
And a friend of mine was in town who was a big fan of yours, and she wanted to see you guys in concert. And you were performing at Slim's in San Francisco. And I believe this would have been around November 1st or 2nd, because this particular friend, her name's Mandy, we also saw The Damned on Halloween night in San Francisco, which was a blast. <laughs> so anyway, so we go see uh, the Soft Boys at Slim's in San Francisco, and I liked it, and I had been listening to the album because I got it through work, and I liked it, but I was really knocked out watching you. I became a fan of you specifically that night. Something about your energy and the way you were playing and how you looked when you were playing, I'll never forget it. And it's so strange. Nobody quite holds a guitar even like you do. And oh. I just came away from that. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I, and I came away from that night thinking, I want to know more about Kimberly Rue. And at that moment, I hadn't connected the dots between you and Katrina and the waves and walking on sunshine and all that stuff. So I go start doing my homework. I get my hands on your Tunnel into Summer album, which is fairly new at the time. From then on, I've always had this real kind of affection for Kimberly, Kimberly Rue. And thankfully, over the years, I've warmed up to the soft boys. Now, of course, I think they're amazing. So I want to, that was a long preamble to tell you how I became a fan of yours. I want to talk about uh, the soft boys. We'll, we'll do that a little bit later. But, of course, we've got to dive into Walking on Sunshine. Yeah. Now, the original version on the first album sounds very different from the one that came out that was mm -hmm. the huge hit. With the horns. Remember, you may get this question a lot. Tell me what you remember about writing the song in the first place. Because the original version is a great song, but if, without those horns, without the later version, I don't think that it would be the staple that it is today. Maybe you feel differently. No, I agree with that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, obviously we did a lot of things right, but there was also an element of luck in that. Uh -huh. um, we did, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of writing songs and playing the guitar. And there was a certain amount of momentum we had. You know, you'd record a song and then... So, like, this would be with Jack Bollier, right? In, mm -hmm. uh, in, like, his studio in London. And the like, Alaska studios, all the greenhouse studios. And then you get to a certain point and then both uh, patterns would say, well, why don't you um, put some horns on? You know, mm -hmm. and it's not really something that I would have um, like a path that I would have gone down myself. You know, I probably would have like uh, just written another song. You know, mm -hmm. but um, you're absolutely right. I mean, interesting. We, uh, and it was right. You know, it was right. 
Yeah. It got spectacular. It's the, uh, you know, you, you know, you, you sign a record deal, you make an album, and somebody, like, picked out a, a single, and uh, that's the one that got picked out. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Now, I think I read somewhere that originally, when you guys first were playing gigs around Europe, you didn't think much of that song, but whenever you would play it, which I think was not even all that often, crowd response was so high that you sort of thought, well, I guess we better start including it. Is that true for even from the very beginning before the you know revamped ver- version became the hit, or did it become bigger once it became once it was more of a single? Well, I mean, of course, when the song was a hit, then for most of the people that like heard the band from then onwards. That yeah, was the only thing is. So they kind of listened politely to the yeah. rest of the show. And then we finish it walking on sunshine and they go, no. Yeah. yeah. So I mean there was a, obviously there's there's that element of audience reaction. I mean okay, so I mean like the kind of goalposts right like, that's where they've been moved to after the song was a hit. Before yeah. it was a hit, that was the part where you've got to make all the decisions. In as much as, like anything, is only a control of tool, like when you're playing, playing music. And then, uh, at that point, uh, yeah, I mean, there's an element of, um, like, people uh, reacting to the song. And, uh, you know, it's not just com- completely up to you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. kind of some work better than others. And, I yeah. mean, there's a bit of going on there is, you know, like I'll, yeah. I'll write a song and then, uh, you know, like I'll play it live somewhere and um, that'll be kind of a road test, you know. And like getting a song across to like some like people like in a pub somewhere who've like never heard it before <laughs> and like what do they expect. I mean, yeah. they've got to get it instantly. So That's very true. Of um, a kind of a stringent kind of a test going on, but we yeah. know that still hmm. Yeah, you never know what the public is going to really grasp hold of. You know, they they sort of choose the hits for you. I mean, you might feel really strongly when you write a song. Like one of my favorite songs of yours is "Red Wine and Whiskey."
that's the one that I gravitate to. But you never, I mean, you may write that and think, we've really got something here. But then the public tells you something different, you know? Yeah. It's so interesting. Mm. How, now, obviously, I think it was 1985, that song becomes the kind of global hit that it did. But there had to have been a period there where, you know, hits come and go all the time. And then maybe another generation passes or time passes. And then that song becomes the song, the go-to song for movie trailers and commercials and TV shows and everything like that. When did it start to sort of take off and have a life of its own? Was it fairly immediately, or was there sort of a lag time before that really took off? Well, uh, okay, Walking on Sunshine was a hit. And then, when we thought that we were on our way to being an established band, mm-hmm. and that we would have more hits, and that people would kind of get familiar with the band being part of the, the landscape. And uh, you know, they would get to know like, a range of songs of us, and that's the way it was going. But, of course, that didn't happen. Mm. You know, we didn't kind of follow that up with more hits. Yeah. And I mean, we were still, of course, you know, doing gigs, like writing songs, making records, obviously getting dropped by record companies, of course. And then, you know, getting other deals with other record companies and making more records and then getting dropped and, then, and so on. And that was yeah. going on all the time. And then slowly, like Walking on Sunshine started coming back as something that would be like in a TV commercial or um, you know, it would kind of be resurrected like when, uh, like in the summer, you know, when the weather was yeah. nice. Yeah. It would go on like that. So then that became the kind of uh, the sort of selling point, if you will, for the band. So you know, that's how we would uh, well, yeah. continue to get booked in for festivals and so on. And we would, uh, you know, we, we just kept doing it. Amazing. I think I read somewhere, but I've only seen this referenced once, so I'm not sure it's true. Did you write Walking on Sunshine with Eddie Grant? Ah, no, there, um, Eddie Grant wrote a song called Walking on Sunshine with the oh. song. Yeah, okay. it's simply that. No, it's two different songs. Okay, I thought so, but I read that. I've only seen that reference one one place, and I thought that can't be right. The, no, um, no, that's, you know, that's Electric that's Avenue right. guy wrote that. Okay, all right, that's that would have been a really yeah. interesting pairing. Yes. <laughs> Just a phenomenal mistake. Yeah, okay, okay, thought so. Going back a little bit, Coming up through the Soft Boys, who are one of those bands that are beloved and uh, important, but are, remain sort of cult status throughout their tenure. And a lot, most of those songs, if not all of them, are largely written by Robin. When you yeah. left the Soft Boys and you start your own thing, is there just like an avalanche of creativity that has to come out of you? Do you feel like, I've got all these songs, built up that I haven't been able to use in my prior band, I need a new band to just get that out. It it reminds me of, you know, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass album, where it's just him just getting all that creativity out of him that he wasn't allowed to really show in the Beatles. Was it something like that? Well, I've always wanted to be creative, and I've always wanted to write songs. I mean, Uh I very much wanted to be part of the softballers. I was kind of thrilled when I got the offer. Because I'm like, I'm a huge uh, admirer of Robin. And ah. still am. You know, 
like eat your livers for a goose. And it's, uh, it's a great challenge to be able to like, add something to um, what he's doing. But, um, yeah. you know, I knew sort of who he was and that you know, he was a songwriter and a singer uh-huh. and like a complete package. In uh-huh. And, uh, you know, that's what I wanted to do. He uh, disbanded the group in uh, early 1991. So, mm-hmm. you know, there I was. Yeah, and um, I kind of I phoned Alex Cooper, and he introduced me to uh, Vincent Katrina. Okay, and it was it was a collective effort, you know. I wasn't like, I mean, I guess I was the main songwriter, but you know, I wasn't like the star of the band. Okay, and I wasn't like the personality of the band, okay. the sort of public poster. I mean, I wasn't like Pete Townsend, like of the Who, for example. True. You know, who, would kind of um, gravitate to and not yeah. asking kind of serious, barrier-covering questions. Yeah. Uh, it was much like a collective effort. I was trying to write something that was right for Katrina and okay. like to be kind of presenting like those songs to the world. You know, we all wrote. You know, I was the main songwriter, but I certainly wasn't the only songwriter. Okay. Yeah, I've always wondered that. If... Um... That was a very that was a perfect analogy the uh, the uh, Pete Townsend because I've always wondered if that was if you viewed Katrina and the Wave as your vehicle to get your songs out or were you a member of a band did you just happen to be the guy that wrote most of the songs but weren't well, didn't they, really stand out as being a leader or the key guy or anything like that? No, I'm definitely not a band leader, and I mean if anybody like Alex was a, band, a sort of natural band leader. Okay. But there again, I mean, he's, he's, he's not as creative as I am. You know, and I mean, yeah. that's not in any way kind of um, denigrating uh, Alex. You know, he would, uh, you know, he would agree with But, uh, you know, and we kind of brought different things to the mix, you know. And yeah. like, uh, you know, Katrina was very definitely the star. I don't think it would have worked at all without, like, those four people. Yeah. And uh, it didn't work perfectly with those four people. You know? yeah. It was yeah. it wasn't something where you could say, Okay, this is your job, this is my job. Yeah. You know, it was always you know, like back and forth the whole time. Right. You know? but, yeah, um, that makes sense. We were together for eighteen years. Yeah. What did you see in Katrina that let you know this is the person that I want singing my songs? Well, as I say, you know, I, I mean, obviously, I've known Alex Cooper, like, forever. Uh-huh. I mean, like, the software was disbanded. I found Alex Cooper. He, in the meantime, as I said, met these two Americans, like Vince Katrina. And uh, he is, you know, it's like a bass player and a singer. I mean, he has introduced me to them. So, like, there we were, you know? Mm. And, like... <clears throat> I mean, I I had to get used to the situation. Okay. You know, I was writing, but you know, I wasn't like the the star or the uh, the personality, like in any way. Yeah. You know, I can't. It took a while. You know, but I mean, we got there. You know, I mean, basically, she was there, and like then I was there. Yeah. So we were. Okay. So I want to. I want to touch on the money side of this. And, you know, normally I tread very lightly on this subject, very sensitively with the people that I talk to. In fact, as I mentioned, you're the end 
you're the last guest of a series of eight that we've had recently talking mm. about their big hits. And it's been really interesting to learn who has financially benefited from that hit and who hasn't, because a lot of them didn't write it or they share the royalties with the four other guys in the band or they get a performance royalty but nothing else or whatever. Now, normally I would – you you tell me what you're comfortable with. About a year and a half ago, it made news that BMG had bought Katrina and the Waves music, which is primarily Walking on Sunshine, for 10 million pounds. And so the, the numbers are already out there. Forgive me if it's too – Touchy, just tell me what you're not comfortable uh, with. No, no, that's, that's on the public record. As you okay, say. yep, yep, yeah. okay. So, and what I found really interesting is that I believe prior to that, Walking on Sunshine was generating a million pounds a year through licensing. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, these, uh, well, if you get a buyout, you know, which I didn't really know anything about until we had a buyout, but um, apparently it's very common, you know, for like, like writers of my age to uh-huh. kind of uh, do a buyout. You know, like, I'm in very good company. It's like people like, well, the names can't be going to do like Pete Townsend, like Steve yeah. and like they've all done that. Right. But it's quite a kind of, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very common thing to do at this, this point in your life. Yeah, I mean, the total figure... Is based on a multiple of the uh, annual earnings of the song. Okay. Doesn't mean you get that money in your pocket, as you. Yeah, I mean it's a bit more complicated than that. Oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't know if BMG wrote you a check for ten million pounds, uh, and then no, basically but... took your songs. That was another question I have. Do you now? So are you done benefiting financially from? your music, have you sold off the rights to do that? Or will you continue to get a piece of this somehow? Well, there's a thing called the uh, Performing Rights Society. We have Got idea, it. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, like uh, collects money on behalf of songwriters. You know, it's like the equivalent of BMI and ASCAP were over there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I get something from them. Okay. But as far as uh, benefiting financially from having written that song, You've sold the rights to that to BMG, and you're set now, correct? We have indeed sold the rights to BMG. So from here on out, what I'm getting, and I hope I'm, I'm not very mm-hmm. smart, so I'm trying to understand the business side of it. So from yeah. here on out, you'll continue to re- receive a, a performance royalty, but not necessarily a songwriting royalty for that song. Yeah. Okay. And when they bought your music a year and a half ago, did everyone else in the band benefit a little bit from that too, Katrina and the rest? Or because you wrote the bulk of the music, were you the the sole beneficiary or just the majority well, okay. beneficiary? Okay, I can tell you that like over the 30, what is it, 30 years, that um, everybody in the band has benefited. Good, from, okay. I mean, I'm very happy with and, like, of course, a lot of other people as well. Yeah, yes. You know, okay. Business. But, uh, yeah, I can tell you that. Okay. That's what I was mainly driving at. You know, yeah. about, just, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, because Katrina, she's amazing. You know, you want to make sure that she is being taken care of, too. I saw her um, about two or three years ago. She performed at one of the, at a, 
Rewind Festival out here in the States. I'm originally from Salt Lake City, Utah, and I live in Denver, so I drove to Salt Lake City to see the show, and she was the opener. And, and I felt kind of bad for her because I feel bad for the opener at any of those shows because the sun is still out. It's like 4 in the afternoon. It's 100 degrees. They're playing three songs, only one of which the whole crowd knows. They know that. So anyway, I've always wondered, ever since then, I thought, boy, I hope Katrina is be- is being able to benefit from how her wonderful performance on that song, as well as all the, I mean, if there's anything else I could impart to any listener of this podcast, is that you guys are so much more than that one song. There is an entire discography there worth ex- worth discovering, because every song is solid. Latin American rhythm You're you're a great pop songwriter. You probably are sick of talking about Walking on Sunshine. It's like, I did a lot of other good stuff, right? Do you ever feel that way? Well, yeah, to me, I mean, basically, I mean, for most of my life, I've been writing songs. Yeah. I mean, sometimes sort of getting them out to the people, like, in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, um, like, there are... Basically, my songs are in two categories. There's Walking on Sunshine and there's everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you rightly say. But, you know, I have... I mean, it's it's nice to be creative. And, I, I mean, I have had the good fortune to be able to be creative and, like, just go out on a Saturday night or a Wednesday night in Cambridge, you know, with my wife, Lee, and just, you know, sing, sing my songs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when yeah. you do that, I've been reading about that. You perform there in Cambridge a lot. I mean, if you put Kimberly Rue on a marquee, people show up, right? You're kind of a local favorite. They'll look, they'll come down to the pub and hear you. It's not, I'm 65 years old. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, we're playing, right, there's me, there's my wife, Lee, there's a few other people. I mean, we're playing to, like, a a fairly small number of people. Yeah. Okay, and then mostly, like, you know, our age or a bit younger. So it's, it's... But the point is, you know, we're all there in a room and, like, we're having a blast. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, like, I'm slowing down a lot, of course. Uh-huh. Basically. But, I yeah. mean, so everybody else, you know? Yeah. Basically, I'm, I'm lucky. yeah. Yeah. And I'm yeah. going actually I'm not depending on like the small amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. You were Yeah. Right. If you could only pay your bills with the people who came to see you perform there in the pub, 
that would be a very different life for you, I'm guessing. Luckily, yeah, yeah, you are. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Love Shine a Light, because that is also a monster song for you. Americans, I don't think, really know much about what the Eurovision Song Contest is. Can you explain it to us a little bit? I mean, I know, you know, you have to be a kind of a deep music head to really know it. Tell us a little bit about why the Eurovision Song Contest matters. Um, well, it's been going for 60 years, and it's uh, between however many countries in Europe. Yeah, I mean, there's now, there's about 40 of them. And... Uh, it's basically like a competition for the best song. And in a lot of countries in Europe, it's a very, very big deal. I mean, in, here in the UK, there's a sort of love, there's a sort of ambivalence about it. Mm. I mean, people like it, but, you know, they also think, I think we think that we're kind of too good for it, you know? Yeah. And that it's not fashionable, I mean, it's not cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is, kind of side there, you know, people will not, like, you know, if you ask a critic or a journalist or um, somebody in a kind of um, a, a credible band, you know, yeah. it would be very likely that they would admit that they liked or were interested in the Eurovision song Sure. So think that's where it's coming from. And it's something that, you know, as I say, it's a competition, but in 1997, the way it worked, there was also like a competition on BBC Radio in the UK to just put in a song to represent the UK in the Eurovision right. Song Contest. So, you know, we entered that competition. But it was, it was an open competition. And you just sent, you sent in a cassette to uh, BBC Radio. I mean, that was how wow. it worked. And wow. that cassette played on BBC Radio. And, uh, you know, there you are. We, I mean, we, there was an element of luck, but I mean, you know, we won. And <laughs> uh, it's not something that ever kind of really impinged on the American culture. And also, the song itself, Love Shine Light, I mean, people have forgotten it. So uh, it's something that's rather kind of disappeared into the past. Oh, has it? Like, okay. 
I mean, Katrina, I mean, does a lot of Eurovision-related gigs around Europe, mm. you know, which is great. You know, it's working. But, I mean, like, they love it. You know, it's yeah. working for her. So, yeah. I mean, like, she's really got these strings to her bow. I mean, she's got Walking in the Sunshine, and she's sure. got um, Eurovision. You know, yeah. So that's one more string than she would otherwise have had. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's great. That is great. I uh, and I think it's. I don't. I can't remember if you just mentioned this or not. I think I want to establish that this happened in 1996, which is uh, 10 96. years. Oh, 97. Okay, I read 96. 97, which is 12 years after Walking on Sunshine becomes a hit. Yeah. And so yeah. it's not as if Katrina and the Waves were still, you know, a fresh top of mind act at that point. Um, no. It, it wouldn't have been the most obvious thing in the world to have you guys win this competition which I think is a real testament to you guys. And, again, going back to what I said, how much more there is to discover uh, within your catalog than just, you know, the songs that most people know. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is a catalog, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people like, knocking around, you know, making a lot of music. And, I mean, some of it's good. And, you know, sometimes the door is closed. Yeah. You know, like a... Nobody on the other side of the door gets to hear it. I mean, yeah. really, we have a hit walking on sunshine. But the hit after, I mean, the song after that wasn't a hit. And then the door closed. That's the way, I think, wasn't that the way a pretty decent hit in the States? Well, or anyway.
mean, the fact that you're being creative after that, I mean, doesn't, yeah. doesn't make any difference. Right, that's the way. Wasn't that the song on the, off the 1989 album? I think that yeah. reached the top 20 in the states. Uh, I, I yeah, like yeah, that song a lot. Right. Yeah, are, I mean, people. Um, I mean, apart from people like yourself, sure. I mean, you don't still hear it on the radio or anything like that. No, no. But it is a great song, by the way. If anyone's listening, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wrote the words to that one, so yeah. you know, credit where credit's due. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the Soft Boys for a minute. I want to read a quote to you. This is in a review of Underwater uh, Moonlight from um, Pitchfork, which if you're familiar with Pitchfork, it's kind of the snobby music side around here. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I think they're a little too up their nose about things. But anyway, talking about Underwater Moonlight, they say it's the darkest, heaviest, light pop album anyone's ever made. Just like it did before They feed your pride with boredom And they lead you on to war The way you treat each other Really makes me feel real Cause if you wanna fight Then you're just dying to get It's a very bold statement to make about anything, but it's kind of true. And the thing that this article, this particular review, talks a lot about Underwater Moonlight is that instead of it being teenage love songs and teenage songs, or not that you guys were teenagers, but young love and lust, it's more about aggravation and what isn't going well and how pent up you feel and how tightly wound you are and how you, you, aggression you have and stuff like that. How do you look back on Underwater Moonlight? Because, yes, Walking on Sunshine is the song you're always going to be known for, but Underwater Moonlight might be the best album you've ever been a part of, according to rock academia, you know? Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge admirer of Rubin, you know, and, I mean, he, he was like the undisputed creative master. Behind, as you might expect, behind everything he's done. I mean, it's a little bit like uh, Lou Reed in the Velvet Underground, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. Lou Reed had a very long and um, illustrious career. Yeah. And, I mean, it started with the Velvet Underground in a similar way to Robin starting with the Soft Boys. And, I mean, obviously he's done, like, he's done loads and loads of other stuff, but, I mean, yeah. he did have like, a unique sound. Yeah. And, you know, we managed to nail that on that particular album. What caused the reunion in 2002? And and why, I mean, you'll have to answer this for both bands, really. What uh, what keeps you guys, whether it be Katrina and the Waves or Soft Boys, from doing things together more often? I think everyone's on good terms, right? Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. What's keeping everyone from, you know, collaborating 
every now and then. Okay, well, Robin's situation is that, and I mean, to be honest, I didn't really realise this at the time. But basically, I mean, he's on a creative journey yeah. in his life. And I mean, it takes him in all kinds of directions. And I mean, at the time, you know, I just thought, oh, right, it's the four of us in a band. But uh-huh. actually, that was that particular stop along the way. Ah, uh, so, yeah, got it. So I didn't yeah. really have the perspective on it at the time. But, I mean, with the perspective I've got now, you know, I can kind of look at Robbie and kind of see everywhere he's gone and everything he's done. Well, I mean, not absolutely everything, but I can get sure. a pretty good sort of um, overview of it. And, I mean, that's really where we kind of our paths cross, you know. Yeah, in okay. Life. As far as Katrina, what um, – well, now, wait a minute. I, I Let me go back to my other question. What did then cause the reunion then in 2002 for mm. – Soft Boys, was that Robin deciding yeah. on his creative journey, it's time to regroup with these guys and exactly, see what else we yeah. have left? Okay, okay, that makes that. sense. And then that ran its course, and then yeah. it kind of branched off again. Okay. But then as far as Katrina and the Waves go, are you guys okay with each other? Could you play periodically, or does it just no one want to? Yeah, I think Katrina's kind of, she's got her, her life and like her band. I think that's right for her, you know, I think that's okay. what she wanted to do. You know, in a way, that's sort of given me the kind of freedom to do, you know, what, what I've been doing, you know, in those, like, 17, 18 years. You know, a lot of that has been, as I say, we had the softballs reunion actually came at a sort of fairly brief time after Katrina and the Wise broke up. So that was actually mm. quite well time. And then no, I've had a great good portion since then. So we've um, no, got together with my wife, Lee, who's uh, yeah. a both there. You know, the light continues to be creative and like just keep doing the music. You know, so that sort of, I mean, in a way, kind of, you know, things have happened at the right time, you know, because I've had, like, benefits from all of them. You yeah. Know? I mean, I think my life would have been the same if I hadn't liked being with Robbie at that a key story. Obviously, Katrina in the way is sort of um, that's got a fairly central position yeah. in like my sort of musical orbit. And then, you know, I've been kind of lucky enough since then to have like been able to sort of follow my creative style yeah. you know, with a lot of like sympathetic people. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's like um, I could, you know, one could imagine like these things were working out a lot worse than what I have. Yeah. Oh, jeez. No kidding. I mean, there are a few there are a few artists in history who have been as charmed and blessed as you have. For uh, I'm very glad you said done. that. Yeah. Yeah. Can't. Yeah. It's true. You know. I mean, you you. I would. I I don't always like applying the word lucky to things like this because it implies that it does. It implies that you didn't put in the work. You know that that luck just found you, and that's not the case. You just happen to do some things that really resonate with a lot of people, and you've been and you get the benefit from that. That's what success is all about. So I'm really happy for you. And I would be remiss if I didn't at least put in a plug for your solo albums as well. I mean, there's seven or eight solid solo albums. I think my particular favorite is Great Central Revisited. You and me.
How often now, I mean, when you write a song now, I don't, first of all, tell me, how often do you get ideas for songs? Is this a thing where, are you disciplined? Like every morning I wake up and from eight to noon, I have my tea and I write a song or is it, does it come to you? Does inspiration come to you and fits and starts? Um, well, everybody's different. I mean, every writer's yeah. different. Yeah. And um, I'm not what you call disciplined. And I don't really know where it comes from. You know, if it comes at all, and I and I have very long periods of not thinking of nothing at all, mm-hmm. but you know, no sort of original ideas. And then you know, sometimes I think it was good, but I mean, as I was saying, I mean, I'm slowing down a lot now, so yeah, you know, it's not something I kind of, you know, it's not something I feel like I have to do, you know, until I'm I'm I'm, I'm quite old, you know, it's not something <laughs> I feel that I've got to do. Did you ever meet a hero? 
do you have a musical hero yeah. that you're just like you're my favorite, um, and he and you met that person? Yeah, I've met some people that you know, that I admire hugely before I met them. You know, actually had sort of almost have reasonable conversations with them. You know, really? like um, Ray Davis. Right? Oh, there uh, you go. It's a lot of them being like other people, you know, on the bill. If you like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. Beach Boys, uh, Mick Fleetwood, you know, like and people like that. You know, we're just lucky to have been there. You know, yeah. um, you know, we okay. one of our sophomores reunion gigs, we had um, Dave Gilmore on guitar. That's really? Awesome. Yeah. There you go. That that ought to do it. Does he still live in? Does he live in Cambridge? I no. know. Uh, no, he doesn't. I know the band Pink Floyd started there, but I didn't know if he still lived there. Well, um, they started in London, but um, Roger Waters, Sid Barrett, and Dave Gilmore were all from Cambridge. Oh, okay. I didn't know if they I mean, were starting Waters in Cambridge first, or just somewhere. And he, okay. he invited Sid Barrett to join, and then later on he invited Dave Gilmore to join. Because okay. they were like childhood friends from Cambridge. Got it. Okay. Last question. You might get this a lot. Have you ever known another man named Kimberly? I get this a lot, you know. And <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, have I thought have, you might. You know, basically I'm 65 years old, so I got this name basically before the name became popular for Bill. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I have to have, like, Mr. Kimberly C. Rue kind of printed on my credit card. Uh-huh. Otherwise, nobody believes that it's my card. <laughs> you know, and they, think, they think I've stolen it. You know, right. And it, you know, just one of the fact, you know, there's this 65 year old man with grey hair sort of peering at them over his glasses, you know. It's, it's, yeah. So, uh, happy days. But I mean, if that's the worst thing that happens to me, then I'm not. Oh, there's nothing it. bad about it. I just realized I've never known another Kimberly, and no. um, who's a man, obviously. And uh, I wondered if back then. It was not uncommon for other men to be named Kimberly, and if there uh, were, if you knew any, or if that's always been a unique name. Where if another one? There is actually a song called Kimberly Rue um, about me. I can't that's remember. Right. I mean, you can find it on YouTube. i got to find um, it. I read about that. Yeah. I can't remember who it's by. I mean, it's not anybody famous. Yeah. And uh, But it's very strange. You know, there's this guy going like, Kimberly Rue. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> But there you go. I mean, it's there definitely. you go. There you have it, Kimberly Rue. Mellow guy, right? Such a gentleman. I hope you've enjoyed these last eight weeks. I loved it. I can't believe that we got to hear from some of these people. Of course, everyone knows the songs, but how well do you know the people behind them? And it's been really fascinating to find out who has benefited financially from their creations and who hasn't, and the various reasons why. So, this was a lot of fun. Of course, I love the obscure stuff, and we're going to go back to that. In fact, next week's guest almost could have been a part of this series. They had about half a dozen hits in the UK in the late 80s, but only really one hit in the States, and it didn't quite crack the top 40, but it's one of my favorites ever. So I hope you'll come back for that. I want to close it out with another great song by Katrina and the Waves that's mostly known because it was covered by the Bengals, Going Down to Liverpool. Another classic song. I can't stress this enough. If all you know is Walking on Sunshine, please go out there. Get on Spotify and listen to the first two albums. They are so good. Everything's good, but I mean, start there. 
Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man, Makevich, my fellow Cambridge buddy. That's where we met, by the way, when we lived there in 1991. Or I moved there in 1991. Thanks for your production help, buddy, as always. And find us on Facebook if and like our page. And you can send me a message on there if you want. Tell me who, a, an artist or a band that you love that you don't hear from often enough. We'll see if we can get them on the show. You can send me an email if you want at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or, of course, there's Twitter, which I've said before. I don't really know what's going on there, so I don't do it very much. At The Hustle Pod. New episodes every Tuesday. If you're new to us, go into the archives. See what else we have that you might like. These last eight weeks have been really magical, I thought. I've loved what we've done these last two months. We'll talk to you all next Tuesday. Thanks, everybody.